Go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 2, where we will begin in verse number 16 momentarily. I want to remind you that the letter of Paul to the Ephesians and this letter to the Colossians are parallel in so many respects. You can see similar wording, and you can see the same topics, sometimes in the exact same order within the two books. But there is one thing that the book of Ephesians touches on much more specifically than the book of Ephesians, and that is the critique of Judaizing. You know that the Apostle Paul was very concerned, as the Apostle to the Gentiles, about this first heresy of the church, where Pharisee types within the church at Jerusalem and at Antioch and later in the region of Galatia were insisting that Gentile believers in Jesus could not be saved unless they converted to Judaism and to the traditions of the Pharisees. Uh, They believed that they had to be circumcised if they're men, They had to keep the kosher laws. They had to keep the schedule of the feasts of the Jews. They had to keep the Sabbath days and everything else. And the Apostle Paul made it very clear that that was not from God. And so did the early church of the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. And so Paul is concerned here in writing to the Colossians that some of that Judaizing garbage is trying to, again, present itself as legitimate faith when it is not. And so he makes it very clear that Jesus is the only mechanism of salvation and that The Old Testament law, while it had a purpose of preparing the Jewish people for meeting the Messiah, once it had served its purpose, it was no longer on the table. And therefore, it was not right for people trying to force Gentiles to live Jewish lives. And so Paul, in writing to the Colossians, reaches out to some of those Gentiles now and just tells them in no no confused means whatsoever, you don't have to do it. In fact, don't you dare do it. So Colossians chapter number 2, verse number 16, he says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. That is, let no one condemn you. Uh, in regard to questions of food and drink, so the kosher laws are not binding on you, or with regard to a festival, that would be the Jewish uh, religious festival schedule, Passover, Pentecost, uh, Feast of Tabernacles, or a new moon, that's every beginning of the Jewish month, was a day off of work, or a Sabbath, that's every week, the seventh day of the week, from sunset on Friday until sunset on on uh, Saturday, that was a 
Jewish protected day off of work. It says, don't you dare let anyone condemn you if you're not keeping those Jewish things. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So shadows are cast by light hitting a solid object and leaving that cone of darkness behind it. But the shadow is not the real thing. It's the substance that's the real thing. And so as I said to you yesterday, uh, it would be absolute goofiness uh, to come up and embrace a shadow, try to embrace the shadow when the real person is standing right there. And so Paul says, don't you dare try to embrace the shadow. Embrace Jesus. He's the point of all of this. Because the, the law, the Mosaic law, was to get the Jewish people from the time of Moses to the time of the Messiah. Once it had accomplished that job, it was finished. So Paul says, let no one disqualify you. That is, declare that, you know, you don't win. Insisting on asceticism, that's cutting things out, like not eating, not getting married, and things of that nature. And the worship of angels, which we actually know that the uh, first century Jewish people, many of them, uh, I can't say many, a lot of them, some of them, uh, we're caught up in this idea that uh, you got to know the names of angels and things like that. Something very similar has happened in Christianity nowadays and in uh, mysti- uh, mysticism that's uh, got a Christian flavor to it. Uh, this worship of angels, he says, don't, don't get caught up in that. Uh, going on in detail about visions, uh, some of the, uh, the Judaizers Uh, We're pulling this nonsense of God has told me or God has shown me that you have to do what I say. Uh, And I know people still try to use that in Christianity. People have tried to use it on me a couple of different times where they've tried to manipulate me into doing what they want by claiming that they were speaking on behalf of God. And all they got out of it was me telling them, you know that if you claim to speak for God and you're not, that you are in big trouble with him. In the Old Testament, such people were called false prophets and executed. In the New Testament, if you don't repent, you will be spending eternity outside the presence of the one you're lying about. So we can't let this stuff uh, pass. We have got to call it on the carpet for what it is. Judaizers are sinners, Judaizers are false teachers, and they have to be dealt with accordingly. Uh, Paul goes on, he says, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Uh, Many of these Judaizers were all about, I'm the one with the true information. I've got the inside track, and you have to come through me. Uh, They were personality cult leaders. Uh, but they're not holding fast to the head. And who's that head? That's Jesus, from whom the whole body, 
nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Now, that's very connected to uh, uh, Paul's writings uh, to the Romans and the Corinthians and in his Ephesian letter, that the body of Christ has Jesus at the head, and the rest of us are parts connected with one another and taking direction from him. And so these Judaizers are not in charge. And so the Gentile believers in Jesus didn't need to listen to them. In fact, they needed to avoid listening to them. Um, I feel very strongly that we need to repeat uh, the wording uh, from the Apostle Paul and from uh, the leadership of the church, the apostolic uh, leadership of the church at Jerusalem, back at the time that this heresy of Judaism or Judaizing first began. Uh, in Galatians chapter 2, starting at verse 4, Paul describes the Judaizers in this fashion. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we had in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. So he says, these guys were trying to take control of the church. They were trying to take control of the individual members of the church, but they were not genuine. They were false believers, and they were just looking for trouble. And so he said, that we didn't yield in subjection to them for even an hour so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. So when we get confronted with false teachers inside the church, we've got to put a stop to that nonsense immediately. And so we've got to not tolerate Judaizing inside of legitimate Christianity. Uh, In the book of Acts, chapter number 15, you have the letter of the apostles uh, that is uh, specified, starting in verse number 23. Uh, But listen to verse 24. Since we have heard that some of our number, to whom we gave no instruction, have disturbed you with their words, unsettling your souls. So these Judaizers were people who pretended that they were speaking on behalf of the leadership when they weren't. And they ended up stirring the people up and confusing them and distracting them and misleading them. And that cannot be allowed. And so I think that's why when we come to places such as where we're at here in Colossians chapter 2, We've got to really emphasize the need for Bible-believing Christians to stand up against false teaching with great strength, Uh, and especially, I think, against Judaizing. That is, the insistence that Gentile Christians have to keep the law, they have to keep the Sabbath, they have to keep the kosher laws, or any any variation of all of those things. All of that is false teaching, and the people need to be called to repentance who are trying to push that stuff. Uh, Verse number 20 
of Colossians 2. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world. Remember that uh, we saw this phrase earlier uh, in the book. It has to do with the building blocks of the world. For Jewish philosophers, for Judaizers, that building block was the Mosaic law as taught by the traditions of the elders. And so Paul has already said that was done away with by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was set aside. And therefore, since we died with Christ, we also died with or against that sort of teaching from the traditions of the, of the Pharisees. So we're not living to that anymore. If you've died to something, when you've been brought back to life, you're no longer connected to that. We've seen that principle in other places where Paul has written. So if with Christ you died to the elementary spirits of the world, that is to the law, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? So here he's a little bit exasperated, uh, similar to what we saw in the book of Galatians. Who has bewitched you, O Galatians, right? I can't believe that you have abandoned the true gospel for another gospel, which is not really a gospel, but rather it is, uh, and it's a capturing, it is an enslavement of you. So Paul says, if, if, you've, if you've supposedly died to all of that, then why are you still putting up with it? Why are you going along with the Judaizers, following their rules and regulations? Verse 21, what are those rules and regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. See, that, that was the rules. You know, you don't handle certain things because if you do, they make you unclean. You don't taste certain things because if you do, they make you unclean. You don't touch certain things because if you do, they make you unclean. Verse 22, referring to things that all perish as they are used. Uh, so everything that uh, the Judaizers were talking about were temporary. According to human precepts and teachings. So why are you doing this when it's just human generated? It's not coming to you from the word of God. Verse 23, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body. See, some people think that that's kind of cool. If a person only eats bread and drinks water, and uh, they say we're doing this because we think this will make our body more pure. People go, wow. That's a lot of devotion. That's a lot of commitment. Or they only eat a small amount of food. Oh, wow, this person must be really committed. Uh, that has an appearance of that sort of stuff. But in reality, Paul says, it's of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. See, it doesn't fix the real problem. The real problem is that we have all sinned 
and fallen short of the glory of God, and we need to be forgiven, born again, and filled with God's Holy Spirit, and from that to then be part of this new life where we walk with the Holy Spirit and produce the fruit of the Spirit as God had intended all along. So once again, Paul brings it back to the point, it's about Jesus. It's not about not eating pork or not working on the Sabbath day or not um, not wearing certain fabrics. It's about Jesus, and that's where your focus needs to go. So he brings us back there again. Verse 1 of chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, and we assume, because that's who he's writing to, that they have been raised with Christ. They died with Christ, and now they've been risen with Christ. Then seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Remember, he died and rose again and ascended on high. He's seated at the right hand of God. He's interceding for us there. So if we have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer us that's living, but it's Christ living through us, then we need to keep focused on Jesus. The life we now live, we live for the one who loved us and gave himself up for us and who is now seated at the right hand of the Father on high. So we live for him. Verse 2, set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So quit thinking about that ham sandwich that you can't have and think about the fact that God wants you to be holy as he is holy that he wants you to love others as he has loved you, to forgive others as he has forgiven you. All of the things that are expected of Christians, stay focused on that instead of the things that disappear with use. Verse 3, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Uh, That should probably be paralleled with the passage in Ephesians that said we have been seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. When we've been born again, we take on a new identity. We are no longer citizens just of this world. We're actually citizens of the heavenly realm. And, And now we're actually ambassadors here to planet Earth. So that's where our focus needs to be. If you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. So we know that when we see him, we will be like him. This is 1 John now. And everyone who has their hope set on this, that is, seeing Jesus at his second coming, being resurrected into a permanent body just like his body, if we've got our hope set in that, then we will purify ourselves even as he is pure. So we will live for Christ. That's the idea. And that's where Paul goes. 
verse 5. So everything that we just talked about, he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. So you've died with Jesus Christ. Let's get serious about it. Let's make sure you have died with Christ and you're not living to the sin of this world anymore. And then he goes through one of our lists that lists out some of the examples of sinful living. Things that are outside the parameters of what God originally intended for us. And he starts with sexual immorality. Now, sexual immorality, best way I can explain it, is anything outside God's original intention for sexuality. And that was one man, one woman, together for a lifetime. So anything outside that boundary, that's sexual immorality. And so we need to put that to death. It shouldn't be part of our lifestyle. Uh, Impurity, kind of a catch-all term for things that are just inappropriate. And again, it's things that God didn't design us for. So using our bodies to do things that are outside of the standards. Overeating, for example, would probably fall into this category of impurity. Uh, Passion is kind of uh, related to that. Passion is um, strong feelings. Um, and we've got to get a, we've got to get a hold on that. We can't just let our feelings run our lives. Uh, just like we can't let our desires run our lives. Uh, he says here, evil desire, bad desire. Desire can be normal and natural. You have a desire to eat something and you'd like it to be delicious, right? God gave you, God gave me taste buds. And so we have a desire to eat tasty things. But if we let that desire just get crazy, instead of having one slice of a delicious chocolate cake, we gobble down the entire thing. That's not a good idea. Uh, Just like uh, we might want to have uh, just some relaxing time, that's okay. But if we just lays about and do nothing and let everybody else have to pull uh, the weight on our behalf, that's not appropriate. So Paul says, you've got to put this stuff to death. It's possible that it's pulling at you, yes, but don't let it overwhelm you. Uh, covetousness, he says, which is idolatry. We've talked about this before. Covetousness is wanting more. And sometimes wanting what other people have. Uh, And idolatry is tied into that because in this culture that Paul is writing to, especially to the Gentiles uh, that are part of it, they understood that one of the reasons for having all these gods and goddesses and praying to them uh, is because you wanted them to do stuff for you. Uh, They treated their gods and goddesses in much the same way some bad Christians try to treat God today. And that is, if I say the words in a right way, God has to do it for me. I I call this bunch the name it and claim it, the blab it and grab it group, you know, the prosperity gospel people. That's false teaching. 
God is not a genie inside of a lamp that if you rub it in the right way, God has to pass, uh, has to give you whatever you say. That is idolatry. That is covetousness. And it is not part of the Christian lifestyle. And so Paul says, you got to put that stuff to death. you got to get that out of there. Verse number six, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. These are the out-of-bound things that bring the wrath of God. A little bit of Romans 1 there, isn't it? Uh, that uh, the wrath of God is coming because people have not seen God for who he really is, not treated him as God, weren't thankful to him for what he was doing for them. And so Paul says, don't get caught up in this sort of sinful behavior. Now, in the Ephesians book, he starts listing a whole bunch of bad attitude and action items that needs to be, need to be avoided. Well, he does the exact same thing here. Verse number seven, he starts with this. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. So he's thinking about Gentiles in particular, but some of the Jews. You used to be sinners. You used to be caught up in this garbage. But now, that's supposed to have changed because you've embraced Jesus as Savior and Lord. Verse, nine, uh, verse eight, but now you must put them all away anger, you know, explosiveness toward other people because you're not getting your way, wrath, uh, malice. Uh, Malice is uh, just a bad attitude and you want bad things to happen to the people that are not doing what you told them to do. Slander, uh, saying uh, untrue or misleading and bad things about other people. Obscene talk from your mouth. Uh, This is the uh, potty mouth, you know, the scatological humor uh, and the the cursing people out. That's not appropriate. None of that is appropriate for the mouth of someone who has named the name of Jesus Christ. And so that is what Paul is trying to help all of us see. Uh, We've been born again, and so we shouldn't look like the old guy that died with Jesus Christ. And then do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. Uh, we're supposed to speak truth in love to each other because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so we should be just like him and speak the truth in love uh, because we've gotten rid of the old person. The old sinful person is gone We need to be living like the new person in Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord.